This morning I have several texts. The one that I would ask you to turn to is Matthew 12, 10 through 21. Though first, I want to refer to Ephesians 5, 18, Psalm 62, 11, Zechariah 4, 6, and then Matthew 12, 10 to 21. I just thank God for the choir and for their faith and, and their giving us the marching orders Sunday after Sunday with these great songs of praise. May we pray together. Our Father, we thank Thee for everything our hearts have already experienced in this service of proclamation and worship. We worship Thee, we adore Thee, we give to Thee the spiritual love and praise of our lips and our hearts. And now, as the Word of God is given to our hearts, we pray the Holy Spirit will anoint it. And may He, who is the convictor and the soul winner, move in the hearts of believers to bring encouragement and strength and comfort and in the unbelievers, those who are lost, to bring conviction of sin and point us to Calvary. In Jesus' name, amen. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in Psalm 62, 11, God hath spoken once, Twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. And in Zechariah 4, 6, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And in Matthew chapter 12, we begin with verse 10. And behold, there was a man who had his hand paralyzed. They asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him? And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore is it lawful? It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath days. Then said he to the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored well like the other. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from them, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all, and charged them that they should not make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show justice to the Gentiles, he shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. 
A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth justice unto victory, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. Our theme this morning, the power for revival. As we have mentioned last Sunday on other occasions, during these weeks, the theme of the morning services will be revival. In March and April across the state of Kentucky, there will be simultaneous revival crusades in many of the churches. The theme, let Christ's freedom ring. Building a going church for a coming Christ. Here at Glendale, beginning on March 28th, Dr. J. Harold Smith will be with us for our part of the simultaneous crusade. This can be the greatest revival meeting our church has ever had. But there's, there must be a power for revival. Last Sunday we talked about the body, the soul, and the spirit. And if any of these three is withheld from the service of the Lord, what a terrible cost. This reveals the cost if men are lost, if we do not give to God our spirit so that there is life eternal, if we do not give to God our self-consciousness so that God can make us something inside of us, if we do not give to God our body which represents our service to Him, what a terrible, we're a terrible cost if men are lost. But today we want to think about the power for revival. Power belongs to God. That's what the psalmist said. I've heard it once. I've heard it twice, he said. Power belongs to God. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, Ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. In Ephesians 5:18, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to have God's power upon our lives? We have not time to go deep into this doctrine this morning, but I believe if we're to have the power of God upon our lives, we need to find out who it is that is the power source. Is the power source some kind of a mysterious spook and you tune into it through a seance or you have to uh, have some kind of a special hoodoo in order to have some kind of special power in your life? What is the power of the Holy Spirit? What does it mean, be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the power or with the Holy Spirit? What does it mean that power belongs to God? What does it mean ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost parts of the earth? Here's what it means. Jesus died. He was here among them. He touched blind eyes and caused them to see. He touched limb lames and caused them to walk again. 
He interrupted funeral processions and raised dead people to life again. And then they nailed Jesus to the cross. And he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. And when Jesus went to the cross, he took our sin penalty. He actually became the accursed thing. He became the dirty rag of our sin. I do not speak irreverently when I say that all of our ugliness and all of our immorality and all of our impurity and all the old dirt and grime and crust of our sin like an old rag was placed on Christ. And when he died, all of our sin was on him. And God couldn't stand it and he turned his back. And our Savior cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he died. He was really dead. And the disciples went away from that hill, heartbroken and discouraged and despairing. Some of them said, oh, I thought that was the Son of God. How could he die? I thought that was God. I thought that was the Messiah. How could he be dead? They were hopeless and heartless. And they went back to their homes. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women came to anoint his body for burial. And when they got there, the shock of a lifetime, the shock of all shocks in this human adventure came when they said, when the angel said, he is not here, he is risen. Jesus was out of the grave. Our Savior had come back to life by the power of God. And when the disciples realized this, the fresh presence of Christ with them every place at all times, there, that was God's power present in their lives. And Jesus said just before he went back to the Father in the ascension, he said, tarry in Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. For when the Holy Ghost is come, ye shall receive power. And then you'll be witnesses unto me. The power of the Holy Ghost is the very real presence of Jesus in our lives. It is the presence of the Son of God living in our lives. At Elizabethtown at the Evangelistic Conference, we heard the president of Oklahoma Baptist University give an address. And among the things he said, he gave the illustration of his going golfing. Now he said, I'm not too good a golfer. And he said, when I get out there and I put that ball down there and I get the stick and I try to get the ball to go where it's supposed to go and go in the hole. He said, I don't do a good job. He said, I uh, saw Palmer play. And he said, I thought, how could I ever be as good as Palmer is? How could I ever golf like he golfs? Then it came to him. He said, suppose Palmer should some, by some mysterious way that's unknown to me, suppose he could somehow shrink up and get inside of my body. And he could control my hands and my eyes and my mind and the way I stand and the way I hit the ball. He said, pretty soon I'd be as good as Palmer because it really wouldn't be me doing it, it would be Palmer playing golf through me. And he said, that's what it means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. It means that Christ comes and lives his life inside of us. 
and we yield to him, we're filled with the precious power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit is the power for revival. And the power of the Spirit of God is available to every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl who has received Jesus Christ as his Savior. And it's given to us in direct proportion to our yieldedness to him. It is not some terribly mysterious thing. It is not something we have to tarry long for. The Spirit of God wants to come and live inside of us. And the Spirit of God is none other than the person of Jesus. The real presence of Jesus in the earth today, Jesus said in John chapter 14 and 15 and 16, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come to you. But if I go, he will come. And when he has come, he will teach you all things and bring them to your remembrance that I have taught you. And so the Spirit of God is in reality the very presence of Jesus today. And if we want to know what the Spirit of God inside of us wants to do, probably the best place to turn is Matthew chapter 12, the passage I just read a little while ago. And I want to uh, enumerate six things from this passage and lay it on our hearts. Six things about Jesus that when we allow the Holy Spirit to operate through us, He can do these things through us. This is the power for revival. This is the power for soul winning. This is the power for lustrous living. This is the power for winsomeness. This is the power for attractiveness. This is the power that enables us while we're being natural, not affected, not putting on the dog, not trying to be like somebody else, but we're allowing the Holy Spirit, the personality of Jesus to so operate through us that he can take our hands and our feet and our ears and our eyes and our tongue and our bodies and do in this work in this earth today the work that Jesus wants done. Here it is. Number one, verse, four, verse 18. Behold my servant whom I have chosen. Jesus was chosen by God. Now Jesus used this word. He was quoting from the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 42, a passage that referred to the coming of the Messiah. And Jesus applies those words to himself. And he says, here, here is, here's the secret if you want it. Here's the secret of my life. I am fitting into the person of the Messiah. I am what God has already earmarked from time and memoriam. Behold my servant whom I have chosen. Now, if we're to allow the Holy Spirit to operate through us, we're going to have to know that we're chosen by God. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you to play on my team, says our Lord. I have chosen you and ordained that you that you should go and bring forth fruit and, and that your fruit should remain. And so we realize that Jesus has chosen us. God has chosen us to be with Christ and to be one with Christ. And when we allow the Holy Spirit to operate through us, we are realizing that we are God's chosen vessel. I have chosen you. So behold my servant whom I have chosen. Allowing the Holy Spirit, the operative person of Jesus, to operate in our lives, we look inside and we say, Behold the servant of God whom I have chosen. You are a chosen vessel for the Lord. Remember this. 
Every man and woman and boy and girl in this room today who is saved, who is God's special, who is God's servant, you've been saved by the blood of Christ, you have been chosen by the Lord. And inside of you dwelleth the chosen one, Jesus. And he has chosen to operate through you. He doesn't want you to be like somebody else. He wants you to be like he wants you to be. No two persons are identical. Just as the snowflakes last Monday in all their beauty reminded us that no two snowflakes are exactly alike, no two human individuals are alike. And we're not to look at our neighbor and say, I wish I could be like him. We're not to look at a man or a woman across the street and say, oh, I wish I could be like they are. But we're to look inside and find the Messiah, the indwelling Spirit of God, Jesus, and say, Jesus, I want you to make me just exactly like you want me to be. And that takes on a whole new concept. It's not a matter of Jesus being on the outside and our saying, I think I'll follow you because we'll get sidetracked and we'll, he may lose us in the traffic. Have you ever tried to follow somebody? Sometimes it's not easy. If you get the least bit fearful and you're going down a busy street and you, somebody says, now you follow me and you get right on their bumper and you try to follow them and uh, then a red light comes. And if you've got, uh, you know, if you've got a little bit of fear in you, you stop for the red light. And they go on and you lose them. Now sometimes that happens in our Christian walk. We get the idea that Jesus is out there and we're, we're saying, I'm going to follow Jesus for a while. I'm going to serve Jesus. And so I'm going to follow him. And Jesus is out there in front of us and we're trying to follow him. We get lost somewhere along the way. It isn't that. That's not the New Testament concept. The New Testament concept of power for revival, power for vital living, is to have Christ inside of you. And he's the one that guides everything about you. And therefore... He is with you in the dark hours. He is with you in sorrow. He is with you when you get that terribly sad news that your heart cannot tolerate, cannot stand, an unbelievable dismay. You stand there and say, oh, this cannot be. And yet there's a reservoir of strength from within that gives the spiritual power you need. I have chosen you. Secondly, in that same verse, behold my servant in whom my soul is well pleased. Jesus was pleasing to the Father. He was pleasing to the Father. Now if we're to have the power of God unleashed in our lives, we're going to have to allow the Holy Spirit, who is the personality of Jesus operating in our lives, to be pleased with us. We're going to have to be pleasing to the Father. How do we please the Father? Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. And if we're to let the Holy Spirit, who is the personality of Jesus, operate freely in our lives, then we're going to have to get ourselves in a position where God can say, behold my servant in whom I am well pleased. Is the Father pleased with you and me? Is he? When he looks at our lives, is he well pleased with our lives? What is it that pleases the Father? Jesus said, the scripture says, I am just as God is holy, be ye holy. Come ye out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And behold, I will accept you or receive you. In order to be pleasing to the Father, we need to be separated unto him. 
separated from the world, separated unto God, separated for the Father's sake, separated for the glory of Jesus, separated to God. That's what God wants. All of the tawdry, cheap things of life that are so senseless, all those things that would deter us and take our minds off of Christ, let's put them over on the altar and say, Lord, I give myself to Thee. One of the greatest preachers that ever preached was John the Baptist. John the Baptist, Jesus said about John the Baptist, of, of men born of women, none is greater than John. When John the Baptist was preaching down at the Jordan River and all the people came out to see him and hear him preach, do you suppose he stood up and say, well, said, well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm so glad you came to hear me today and I appreciate you're, you're doing me the honor of coming and hearing this, one, this message and I'm, I'm just so thankful you're, you just honored us by your presence today. Is that what he said? Why John the Baptist railed at him, who told you to flee from the wrath to come, you generation of vipers and snakes? He put his finger on the sins of life. And if we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and if we're to be pleasing to Christ, we need to be under the word of God so the finger of God can get on our sins. And we see our sins in all of their heinous crime against God. God hates sin. He loves the sinner, but he hates sin. I don't care whether that sin is in the life of a Christian or the sin is in the life of an unbeliever. God hates sin. When he sees liquor flowing, if that liquor is flowing to an unbeliever, he hates it. If it's flowing to a believer, he hates it. God hates sin. When he hears cursing and swearing, if it's coming out of the mouth of an unbeliever, he hates it. If it's coming out of the mouth of a Christian, he hates it. When God sees adultery and fornication and impurity of mind and lust, God hates it. No matter where it's coming from or who's doing it, God hates sin. And so if we're to be pleasing to the Father, we need to get close up to his heart and walk close with him. Back years ago, one of our missionaries went out to speak to the Navajo Indians. And after the message, the missionary was walking back to the dining hall, and a little Navajo Indian, it was raining, and a little Navajo Indian came up. And she had an umbrella, but she didn't, uh, the missionary had an umbrella. And uh, uh, she came up real close to the missionary, and the missionary looked and said, why don't you put your umbrella up? And the little, little Indian girl said, so I can stand close to you and walk close under your umbrella. That's the reason I didn't put my umbrella up. I wanted to walk close to you. And we need to walk close to Jesus if we're to be what he wants us to be, if we're to be pleasing to him. There need to come times in our lives when we say, Lord, take all of these things that should be subtracted from our life and take them out and take all the things that should be added to my life and add them to my life. Thirdly, I will put my spirit upon him. Jesus was anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was anointed by the Spirit. Now there are three experiences we have in the Spirit, maybe four. 
The first experience we have in the Spirit of God is conviction. Without the Holy Spirit's conviction, a man cannot be saved. The Holy Spirit must convict. In John chapter 16, and when he has come, he will, con he will convict or reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me, and of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit brings conviction in the heart of the unbeliever. Now secondly, when we receive Christ, the Holy Spirit then seals us unto the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit seals us and baptizes us into the body of Christ. Now the doctrinal truth concerning the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the sealing of the Holy Spirit are two different doctrines, but they occur one at the same time. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is when we are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. There's one baptism, one Lord. That baptism is the Spirit baptism into the body of Christ. But the sealing of the Holy Spirit is that doctrinal truth, a precious truth, whereby the Holy Spirit takes us and puts us in the hand of God and God closes His hand just as I take this watch and I put it in my hand, I close my hand upon it. And then the Holy Spirit seals it. If there's somebody bigger than I am here this morning, you can come pull this watch out of my hand. If you're not, you can't. The Bible says nobody is bigger than the Spirit of God. Nobody can come and pull you and me out of God's hand because the Holy Spirit has sealed us under the day of redemption. We're sealed by God. But there's another experience we have in the Holy Spirit. And this is the filling of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 5, 18, be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a daily filling, a weekly filling, a, a monthly filling in which we come to the Lord over and over and over again and say, Lord, I have a leaky vessel. I got filled with the Holy Spirit last week, but I need to be refilled. Or, Lord, I came yesterday morning asking for the fullness of the Holy Spirit upon my life for that day. But, Lord, I need a new filling today. You see, the fullness of the Holy Spirit can come again and again and again as we allow the Spirit of the Lord to fill us full. If I have a glass of water, and in that glass, I have a glass, and in that glass I have a bunch of rocks and dirt at the bottom of it, and then I take some water and pour the water in there, and the water comes clear up to the top, it may look like it's filled with water, but I want to ask you, is that glass really filled with water? No, it's filled with water and rocks and dirt. If I want to be filled with water, I have to take the glass out here and pour that dirt and rocks out and maybe let the water come in and shake it around, pour it out again, and then put that water in it. And then it fills clear up. And then it's filled with water. So it is with our lives. As long as we have the old rocks of sin and resentment and jealousy and emulation and hatred and resentment and uh, gossip and all lust and all of these sins within us, and then we say, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Why, the Spirit of God may come in, but we'll be still filled with all those old things, and God can't do the great work through us that He wants to do until we stop a moment and say, Spirit of God, I want to empty my life of all this old trash and dug ugliness and dirt and all that. And I confess it to you and I forsake it and I get it out. Just like when you swallow a fly, you're sick until you vomit it out. 
So until our spiritual lives get purged and cleaned from all of these sins, we cannot be totally filled with the Holy Spirit. And then when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, God can use us and flow through us. But there's still another experience in the Holy Spirit, and that's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The anointing of the Holy Spirit. In 1 John chapter 2, ye have an anointing, and you have no need that any man shall teach you. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is a special mission, you might say, or ministry of the Holy Spirit in which he comes upon a Sunday school teacher to teach a class on a certain Sunday or upon a preacher to preach a sermon on a certain Sunday, or upon a housewife to, when she goes through some terrible problem in her home and she says, oh, Spirit of God, anoint me for this day, this task for today. And all of a sudden, with all the calamity and tragedy and problems all around her, there's a calm and perfect peace inside of her heart because she's been anointed by the Holy Spirit for that day. In the Old Testament, the kings were anointed for service. The priests were anointed for service. The scripture says that Jesus was anointed at the hour of his baptism. In Luke chapter 4, speaking of, his, of what happened when he was baptized, Jesus said, uh, the Spirit of the Lord hath anointed me that, he, that I might preach the gospel. Now Jesus was always filled with the Holy Spirit. He had the Holy Spirit without measure from his mother's womb, from conception. He was in reality, in fact, God incarnate. But Jesus himself said, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. For this special task and we need the anointing of the Holy Spirit and what I'm saying is this church needs the anointing of God for revival I think there was a time when this church has had a special anointing for special things I think there have been times when I've seen in the lives of our people a special anointing of God for a special task I think I stood in the presence of sorrow and heartbreak and tragedy and seen in the lives of some of our people a godliness that is beyond human resources in which the Holy Spirit seemed to just anoint that man or that woman for that particular hour so that you could be a blessing and a strength to everyone else. We need that. Jesus said that's what he had. And the servant of God dwelling within us wants to give us the anointing of the Spirit. Well, there are other things here. But let me close by saying in verse 21, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. There'll be victory. There'll be victory. In verse 20 and 19, he shall not strive nor cry, neither shall there any man hear his voice in the streets of bruised reed. Shall he not break? Smoking flax shall he not quench till, shall he quench till he, till he send forth justice unto victory, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. What he's saying there is there's a calm and a serene peace about that precious Jesus that is available to us. Calmness. God doesn't want us to go into hysteria. God doesn't want us to walk the floor and wring our hands and pull our hair and go into... R.A. Torres tells the story of his own little boy. He was very sick all night long. They prayed all night that God would heal that little boy. And toward the morning hours, God seemed to say no. And as the dawn came, the little boy's eyes shut in death. He and his wife knelt there, crushed, heartbroken, disappointed. His wife was sobbing and 
Dr. Torrey says, just suddenly there seemed to came, come across my soul a quietness, a serenity. There was something inside that whispered, it's all right, it's all right. And he went and put his arm around his wife and said, it's all right. Our boy has been placed in the hand of God. He's all right. And God has a purpose that's beyond our understanding. When the Spirit of the Lord is there, there can come a quiet, calm, trust, and serene, and peace. And listen, those on the outside will look, and they'll say, what makes that person like that? How come they're like that? And the answer will come back, their God is the Lord God. They know the source, Jesus. Those on the outside will say, if God is like that, I want him. Up in Michigan, many years ago, the preacher and his wife, Dr. and Ms. Malone, had a precious little girl. One night on Friday, while the, while the wife was fixing supper, she stepped out of the room. There was a hot skillet of grease on the, on the stove. That precious little five-year-old girl went up and got hold of the skillet, pulled the grease down on her, and she was burned two-thirds of her body. They rushed her to the hospital, and all day Saturday, they walked and waited. Then she died. At the funeral home, the deacons came by and said, Dr. Malone, we'll get you a supply for tomorrow. He said, no, I'm going to preach. I'll be there. Well, they said, you can't do that. And so he said to his wife, what shall we do? She, who led the choir in that church, said, honey, let's go. We'll go to the church. We'll do our work. God, take care of our little one. On Sunday morning, they stood there. The wife led the choir, and Dr. Malone preached. Out of a heartbreak. 49 people walked down the aisle giving their hearts to Jesus that day. That afternoon, they followed the casket out to their little grave, put their little loved one away. That night, they were back in the church. His wife led the choir, and Dr. Malone stood to preach. There was an old skeptic there. The whole town had prayed for him. When Dr. Malone gave the invitation, that old skeptic who said, if that preacher's got a God like that who can do that for him, I want that same God in my life. He walked down the aisle confessing his faith in Jesus and 130 other people walked down the aisle trusting Christ as Savior that night. When the Spirit of God is directing our lives and fills our lives, there is a quiet, a peace, a serenity. Those on the outside will know it. May we pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for the power for revival, the precious Holy Spirit. We pray that just now someone who has never been saved will open his heart to the Savior, who is able to bring comfort to the bereaved and the heartbroken, and to give stamina and strength to those who are weak. 
and who is able to chain the power of the devil to open the gates to glory. Oh God, help these to come to you this morning. And we pray that some who have been weak in faith will flee into the arms of Christ and say, Dear Savior, I need thee, I want thee, I love thee. Have thy way here in the name of Jesus. Amen. May we stand, please. We'd like to request that no one leave during the singing of this hymn. This is God's invitation. And here's the invitation. Perhaps before this service today, sometime, you have already received Jesus into your heart, but you have not confessed him openly. You've not followed him in baptism. I want to urge you today to step out from where you are and come being a public follower of the Lord. There are no secret disciples in the kingdom. Would you come and say, yes, I'm one of the followers of Jesus. I love him. I've received him as my Savior, and I want to confess him as my Lord. I want to be baptized. There are others here this morning who have never been saved. You need to come confessing Jesus as your Savior. There are some who are members of other churches, and God wants you at Glendale to be part of this fellowship. We urge you to come today just trusting Jesus, saying, I want to stand with the Lord's people at Glendale. I want to be part of that fellowship. As we wait, as we pray, will you let the Holy Spirit have his way in your life? God help you to come.